truth is all out there. They cannot no longer get ahead of the truth. So it's 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 a full-on 24-7 abuse, abuse, abuse. I am a husband, a father, a lawyer, a Christian, and a proud Canadian. I started this series because it was clear that our nation needs truth. Not just another biased narrative, but real information of substance. We need access to facts and the freedom to think for ourselves. I'm Leighton Gray, and this is Gray Matter. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Gray Matter. Well, today we have on the show uh, the type of guest I love having on. Actually, this is the second time he's been on, but the first time with us on Return to Reason is hockey great Theo Fleury. Uh, of course, Theo is not just a, a famous hockey player who had a very illustrious NHL career. He's now become uh, a, a media personality. He started a media company. He's a motivational speaker, and he's actually authored two books. Uh, and so uh, what we plan to do with Theo today is to take him through some of his more recent activities and also canvas some of his uh, very candid opinions about some of the things that are happening in the NHL today. Uh, so thank you for being with us today, Theo Fleury. It's great to see you again. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. So, uh, Theo, uh, I wonder if we could start off with um, talking a little bit about um, your your podcast and this new media company that you've started with Mr. Burgo and Jamie Sally. How did mm-hmm. what was the what was the sort of the genesis of this? How did you get started with it? <laughs> well, you know, I first and foremost, you know, for many many years the media has been lying to us and uh um you know it's really hard to uh find out what exactly the truth is nowadays and uh and so you know i was just kind of going along doing my thing you know um you know before covid i was traveling at least once a week somewhere in north america to talk about you know the subject of trauma mental health and addiction and how it's all connected and all that. And then, you know, and then COVID came and, you know, shut all that down. And, and so I was kind of at home minding my own business, uh, you know, obviously um, engaged in uh, COVID-19 and trying to discern the truth of, you know, uh, what was actually going on which then to me exposed the conservative party of Canada being as corrupt as the liberal party of Canada. And so, um, you know, there's really no political party in Canada that represents my voice, which is the true blue Patriot loving free speech, get the hell out of my life government person. Right. And, uh, and so, you know, we said to ourselves, what the hell are we going to do now that, uh, you know, our aspirations of all going to Ottawa and turning this country around, they put a wrench in it. So I said to Joe, I said, why don't we, why don't we start a little media company here in Calgary? And, uh, you know, K's for Truth was already uh, a not-for-profit charity that Joe had set up, um, in 2020, just basically, um, you know, because they were suppressing therapeutics, 
and they weren't talking about the dangers of wearing masks. And so that's how Canadians for Truth um, sort of got started. And then because I had a relationship with Jamie Soleil and she was speaking out, uh, I talked to her on the phone and said, why don't you come join us? And she agreed to do that. She, and, she's really taken a lot of abuse, abuse, hasn't she, Theo? Yeah, anybody, uh, anybody, her, like, who, anybody who sits on the right has taken way too much abuse from the communist, uh, you know, people that, uh, like, I, I had no idea that there was this many communists in Canada. I honestly, it was, it's like, it's mind blowing how many communists there are in this country. And it's, yeah. it's a shame. Yeah, that reminds me of Trish Wood's phrase, politically homeless. And I think a lot of people feel that way. But some of the comments that Jamie Soleil was getting from one particular person on uh, on Twitter, whom I won't name, uh, saying something like that the planet would be better off if Jamie Soleil weren't on it anymore. Like, that's yeah. just disgusting. Yeah. You know? Well, think this, look at the source, right? Yeah. You know, um, uh, you know, we... We are in a psychological and spiritual war, which I've already been involved in in my lifetime. You know, I was groomed by one of the most notorious pedophiles on the planet. And so I'd already been through a psychological, you know, sort of mind, if you want to call it. And, uh, and so right from the beginning of COVID, I knew that something wasn't right, you know. And basically, they're, you know, uh, narcissists, you know, use manipulation, coercion, lying, stealing, cheating. And my pedophile abuser, what did he use? Manipulation, coercion, lying, cheating, stealing. So Same, same recipe. Same right. recipe, right? It, right? It's never changed in, what, 10,000 years? And, uh, you know, unfortunately, we had an opportunity 80 years ago to wipe the narcissist gene off the planet, and we didn't do that. And now it's back 80 years later with a vengeance. And, uh, yeah, so it's, like I said to you at the beginning, uh, you know, we li we're, li we're living in interesting times. And, and uh, you know, the, the insanity of the last three years is mind-boggling. The Theo, um, you and I grew up around the same time. In fact, I, th I think we're both. I think we're the same age. And uh, growing up playing hockey, I heard about you. I grew up in Alberta, and I know you grew up in Southern Saskatchewan, Manitoba. There's an argument there. Yeah. Uh, you were one of my dad's favorite players. My my late father died last year. Um, he was, he's also a member of, uh, the carry the kettle band in Southern Saskatchewan, oh, Santa wow. Luda. And oh, wow. my dad, my dad always said that you reminded him of a hockey player who I didn't get to see a lot of, except maybe when I was a, a kid named Stan Makita. Stan Makita had a famous quote. He said, uh, there are rough players and there are dirty players. He said, I'm rough and dirty. Uh, and that's... <laughs> <laughs> that's you play with a lot of skill, just like Stan Mikita, former uh, NHL scoring champion and Hart Trophy winner and Lady Bing winner, winner later on. But that's also some of your that also describes your political commentary to some degree too, doesn't it? I mean, you yeah. don't pull punches; you 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 tell it like it is. And uh, so, is that sort of uh, is there a symmetry between the way you played hockey 
and also your political commentary? Do you see that say, sort of expressing the same kind of personality or am I off the mark there? No, I think you're bang on, you know. Um, uh, I didn't take no shit on the ice and I'm not going to take any from communists, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I've shaken hands with the devil several times in my life, right? And the simple fact that I'm still here tells me that the devil is afraid of me, right? And, you know, my hockey career was no different. Um, you know, uh, I was never intimidated. I was never afraid. Um, because, you know, early on in my hockey career, I, I figured out that probably 75%, 80% of the guys that I were playing against were bluffers, right? Mm. And, uh, you know, I could intimidate them with psychology, right? And, and, you know, I was sort of an unpredictable player where guys didn't know where I was going to kiss them or cut their eye out. And I, that's, that's what I wanted them to think was that I was crazy. I was dangerous and that I could actually hurt them, you mm -hmm. know? And, you know, when I'm, because my whole entire career, everybody said, this guy is never going to play because he's too small. Right. right. And so I had to figure out a way to get room on the ice to do what I do best. Right. And so being able to intimidate from a psychological perspective gave me the room on the ice that, you know, that I was able to do what I would do. Yeah. I, I would do best. Right. And, you know, off the ice, this is no different, right? Mm -hmm. This is no different. Um, they're playing a psychological war with us. So I'm just returning the favor because I know the game and I know how it's played, right? It's very easy to figure out. And, you know, something interesting that uh, I learned was that uh, after the CIA assassinated JFK, they came out with a phrase called conspiracy theory as right. a way to suppress truth right well i just read something very interesting that conspiracy theorists are actually the people with the highest iqs on the planet why because they can recognize patterns mm -hmm. right and pattern recognition is they say is the highest form of <clears throat> iq on the planet so call me conspiracy theorists all you want you know, um, like I've been around, I, I've seen, I've seen abusers, narcissists, you know, played for lots of narcissists, coaches that I had were narcissists. So, you know, you can't fool me as to what the final agenda is here. And, uh, you know, discerning truth is, is the game, right? It's it's funny you should say that about patterns. It reminds me of, uh, you might've heard the story because I know you're, you're good friends with Wayne Gretzky, but back in the early 80s, they actually took uh, Wayne, I understand, into the, the U of A 
and they ran a bunch of tests on him because they were trying to figure out why he was so good. And they found out he didn't have really great reflexes. He wasn't overly strong. Uh, he wasn't overly fit. But the one thing he could do when they tested him is he had an incredible ability for pattern recognition. And this seems to have some relationship to uh, IQ and hockey IQ so that all, like all the great players, yourself included, you guys could see plays unfolding uh, and anticipate, you know, where the, where the play was going to go. Whereas a lot of the other players, even at the NHL level, were maybe reacting. So it's, that's an interesting uh, that you mentioned that pattern recognition, because it made me think of that story when they were do, doing some testing on Wayne Gretzky. And we all know how, what his hockey IQ was. Yeah. And if you, you know, if you look at Wayne Gretzky, you know, that, that's not your, your typical hockey player, you know, No, but um, you know, I would say the game is 5% ability and 95% of what's between your ears. Right. And, you know, the, the players that have success are the people who are mentally strong, right? And they can adapt to all kinds of situations, right? Because especially now, you know, everybody can play, everybody can skate, everybody's in shape, everybody eats well, takes care of themselves. But what sets apart the great players from, you know, uh, the average guys is, is, is right here. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, like I faced a lot of adversity in the beginning part of my life. And I, and I truly believe that that adversity was a gift in my life because what did it do? It built resilience, right? And that's the gift of adversity mm-hmm. is resilience. And once you have resilience there isn't anything that life can throw at you that you're not gonna figure out a way out of it and and succeed right right and and i look at young people now nowadays they have zero resilience Mm -hmm. none none they just fold under you know the most extreme pressure what, why do you think that is, Theo? Why, why, why do you think well, that's true? it's our fault. It's our fault. Because we didn't want our kids to grow up the way that we did, right? Yeah. So we gave them everything. We coddled them. We didn't allow them to experience adversity in their life. And now we have a bunch of woke, you know, kids that are running around. Well, and, and I want to, this, is, this woke thing is something I want to segue into because, uh, I know you commented, I, I follow you on Twitter, and I know that you commented on the Governor of Canada's Pride season, uh, which has our, our national flag and the, and the rainbow colors. And uh, you also were very outspoken about uh, an, uh, some, an incident that happened, or a series of incidents that happened this past season. In fact, I watched an interview you did with Tucker Carlson on his now defunct show on Fox News. Um, former NHL player Theo Fleury calls out the league for pushing the woke agenda. You want to talk about what you meant there and and uh, and why you spoke up? I, it's something about the over politicization of sports. Well, I didn't call out anything. No, you know, I I uh, I was asked the question, and I said, you know, politics has no place right in sports at all, right? And, um, you know, I didn't know that hockey wasn't inclusive. 
You know what I mean? Right. Like, I, I don't, you know, if you have the ability to play, if you have the means to play, play. Yeah. Right? The yeah. greatest sport ever invented in the history of our planet. Right. And, uh, but, you know, this is, this is, uh, you know, this is the woke agenda that they're trying to push on mm -hmm. all of us. Right. And, you know, sports and being a fan of sports is a way to uh, check out for a few hours. Right. And when we bring politics into sports, it's a disaster. Right. It's mm -hmm. a disaster. And, you know, there was few guys out there that made choices and decisions. And, you know, what the other side doesn't the, wants is they, they don't want you to have any choices. They right. don't want you to have a voice. They don't want you to have an opinion. It's our way or the high way. Right. And that's, you know, that's not the Canada that I grew up in. Right. Nor me. You know, I grew up in a small town in Manitoba where what, where as I was playing hockey, I was instilled with some incredible morals and values. You know, the first one being respect, right? Respect. And we live in a world today where we have completely lost respect, you know, because of the, you know, this divisive politics, right? Mm -hmm. And and you know i don't see any of that you know yeah. i don't see i don't see you know that respect that we had you know when we were kids you know another thing we learned was you know loving and caring for our teammates yeah. right that everybody everybody has a role on the team and that role is essential in helping you win mm -hmm. right you know everybody has a role and then the third thing we learned was consequences. That we are all responsible for our choices, actions, and our decisions. And the reason why we're in this show is because no politician has had to face any consequences for his choices, his actions, and his decisions. And that's why we're in the state that we're in. Mm -hmm. It's because those three core moral values and principles have completely been wiped out mm -hmm. and Trudeau says we yeah. don't have yeah. any identity yeah. that's canadian identity yeah respect loving and caring for your neighbor and accountability you know that's, it, that's it's, gone it's it's interesting that you say that because you know uh, um and, and one of the one of the reasons why your comments on this are really interesting is because um Part of where we de we derive our culture in Canada is hockey. And there's a couple of quotations here. Here's one from Jean Beliveau, who is uh, another one of my dad's favorite players, uh, and and a really really classy gentleman. I've read about him, and I mean, really spent uh, the whole rest of his life after he finished playing hockey just helping people. But he said this: "Play with passion and heart. If you don't carry passion into sport or into any job for that matter, you won't succeed." And then here's Bob Yor, one of my hockey heroes. I'm sure he's one of yours too. He said this, I've been gifted. The world is full of people who not only haven't been gifted, but have had something taken away from them. All I have to do is see one of them, some little girl who can't walk, 
and then I don't think I'm such a hero anymore. I think that compared to them, I'm a very small article. We've lost some of that in Canada, haven't we? Yep. Well, you know, you're talking about two very humble gentlemen, right? Who realized that, um, you know, it's it's an honor and a privilege to be a part of the national hockey. But and to be a Canadian, for sure. But what yeah. we've lost is that without fans, there is no us. Right. Right. Without fans buying tickets and jerseys and hockey cards and all these things, there is no us. So, you know, and I learned from probably, you know, I had the greatest 22 mentors I could have possibly had when I got to the Calgary Flames because that team was full. The 89 Stanley Cup team was full of great hockey players. But more importantly, that hockey team was filled with great human beings. And that's why we won. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't because of what happened on the ice it was it was it was because we had a lot of quality Mm -hmm. human beings like Mm -hmm. from the right from the top sure you know our ownership group with harley hodgkiss and bj and doc seaman and you know everybody all the way down cliff fletcher al Coates, al mcneil coaching staff you know people who worked in the dressing room you know because we built a culture you know where we cared about each other Right. right And, and what Trudeau is selling is absolute lunacy and insanity has no core value, no core Canadian values whatsoever. They even took it out of the coat of arms recently. Yeah. You know, how does he, they, they changed, you know, liberals changed the, we had a perfectly good flag. They changed the flag back in the late sixties. Liberals did. He, Trudeau, one of the first things he did when he came into office, he changed our national anthem. Uh, and, and now just unilaterally just changed our national coat of arms to take all of the sacred religious, you know, symbols out of that without even consulting the Canadian public. That's to, to me, that's appalling, really bothered me. Well, I just happened to find this little tidbit of information. So, so let me put this question to you, Leighton. So if you were elected the prime minister of Canada and in the first few weeks or months of you being in power this is what Trudeau did he changed the the consent from having anal sex from 16 to 14 that was one of the first things that he did as prime minister of canada right and nobody nobody even knows about that right right and now we have we have all these drag shows where kids are being groomed. Well, the kids aren't being groomed. The adults are being groomed right now, right? And grooming, as I understand, is against the law. Right. So where is Child and Family Services? Where is City Police? Where is the RCMP? Instead, they're arresting the protesters who are basically pointing out the fact that you guys are breaking the right. law. Right. So you're you're talking about Calgary and, and Yodi Gun. I know you were very outspoken against this. Mm-hmm. I actually got in trouble myself uh, because in my home city of Cold Lake, uh, I spoke out against this. And while I was in talking with city council, my car was vandalized. 
and so so um, and you know actually um, the the city Cold Lake City Councilor um, who who uh, who was there and argued with me during my presentation, he actually posted something on Facebook that said that the most dangerous person at a drag queen uh, show a kid kid show is a uh, Christian with a gun. And I made a complaint to, to city council that they summarily dismissed. So this is a serious problem, isn't it? I mean, uh, you know, suppression of, of, uh, of peaceful, uh, you know, uh, disobedience or, or, or uh, to, to speak truth, really. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, a suppre- it's a suppression, it's a suppression of, of, of objective truth and, and, yeah. and particularly against, it seems to be, against people who hold traditional Christian values. Would you agree? Hundred percent, yeah. You know the Bible predicted this, and we are here. This is the last fight versus good versus evil. And if we lose this, scary times, man. Yeah. Scary times, and that's what people don't understand. You know, um, I've had very, two very successful careers. Okay, I was a professional athlete, and then I was an author and motivational speaker. This is the last place that I want to be laden. This is the yeah. last thing that I want to be doing in my life. <laughs> right. Right. I'd rather be in Arizona playing golf every day, enjoying the fruits of my labor. Right. So when people call me a crazy conspiracy theorist and whatever, no, that's not it. I'm here because I recognize from my past lives and all the pain and suffering that I've gone through in my whole entire life, that I spent 20 years of my life getting healing, becoming a better human being, all this, so that I can die? Because that's the ultimate goal. Right. They want us all dead. They want us all dead. Mm -hmm. And you can call me crazy all you want, but trust me, I've been there. I've been there. And I'm speaking up for my children and my future grandchildren because if the path that we're going down, they have no future, not mm-hmm. zero. It, it's quite shocking that uh, according to recent polling, about two thirds of Canadians are actually in favor of medically assisted death. How did that happen? How did that happen? How, how do we get to a society of, it seems like only yesterday, they're arresting Dr. Kevorkian in the States. And then, and now today, you know, two thirds of Canadians think it's okay to just, you know, just check out. How how do we get here? Do you have any any ideas? Is is it part of a part of sort of a psyop, or or is this no, like no. as you say, an existential thing that's that's operating on a spiritual level, the way Tucker Carlson was describing recently, and which ev- evidently was instrumental in getting him fired from Fox. Yeah. So for the last 15 years, I've spent my time in the field, working in the field of trauma, mental health, and addiction, okay? And I believe that trauma is at the core of every single issue we have in society is unresolved trauma, okay? Right. And, you know, when I'm out there working, all I see is pain and suffering, okay? And we're very aware that there is a mental health crisis, right? I believe it's the real pandemic on the planet, not COVID-19. 
Mental illness is the number one thing. And then, you know, we understand that there's an addiction problem and an addiction issue on the planet. Well, we've done a really poor job in society creating safe, vulnerable spaces for people to talk about what happened to them, right? Because I carried a secret around for 27 years of my life, okay? And it almost killed me. And then in 2009, I wrote Playing With Fire and told that secret to the world. And by doing that, it completely changed my life and completely changed the course of my life. Why? Because I found my tribe. I found my tribe of people. Because everywhere I went on the book signing tour and, you know, subsequently doing speaking engagements and workshops and all this stuff was people saw me as a safe person. That they could come to me and tell me that story, their me too story, right? And so um, when you're traumatized and you're not on a path of healing, guess what? You can't think critically because all you're doing is surviving day by day. So you can't right? see the conspiracy theory. You can't, you can't see the right. patterns. Right, right. Because you're, you know, we're basically in an abusive relationship with our government, right? Yeah. Nobody yeah. talks about systemic government abuse. We talk about systemic racism. We talk about systemic da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. But we don't talk about systemic government abuse. And what does abuse do? It causes trauma. Right. And what does trauma do? Trauma leaves us in emotional pain and suffering. Right. So how do we deal with the emotional pain and suffering? Well, we tend to gravitate towards the dark side of life and get involved in addictive behavior as a coping mechanism to suppress the emotional pain and scars that are left behind from trauma. So does that explain, Theo, and that's a an int very interesting analogy. Does that explain, because I, I can't understand why so many people still follow the Trudeau liberals. They, they've been, to my mind, they've been revealed as a full-on cult. Yep. And it's so yep. obvious. And, and I feel, I'm like you, I feel like, like I'm being abused by, by this government. But yep. then there's, there's all these people that just think that, you know, Trudeau just walks on water. Like, is that, is that their response? Is that how they respond to to, to trauma? Yes. Yes. It's oh, like, it's fascinating. Like being, it's like being in an abusive relationship. Why can't you leave? Well, because you have Stockholm syndrome. You're, you're, you know, you're connected to your abuser, right? And it, and it feels comfortable and it feels normal. So that's why oh. we, you know, um, so you Canadians know. are living through a, essentially in a, a hostage situation with our government. Yeah. Because oh, of incredible. The, because of the abuse. Right? It's constant. The media, the politicians, it's 24-7 systemic government abuse. Right. Right? And you can't get away from it. You cannot 
Get away from it. And the end game, you say, and the end game is, is, is death. Because this is the thing I wonder is why are they doing all this stuff? You know, how many times has communism been tried on the planet? I think like over like 24, 25 times. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that communism spits out is mass death. Yeah. That's it. And human misery. Yeah. And we're, and we've already seen it with the vaccines. You know, people dying from vaccine, people being injured from vaccines, you know, it's, it's nuts. It's, Mm -hmm. it's insane. And, you know, let's think back 1971, the world economic forum was formed and this is, this was, has been their plan all the way along. Right. Right. And now we're here and now we're here and now they got to speed it up. Why do they got to speed it up? Because the truth is all out there. They cannot no longer get ahead of the truth. So it's, it's, it's a full-on 24-7 abuse, abuse, abuse. It's what it is. So I want to bring this back to, uh, you know, to, to your comments about the NHL because, um, Phil, you know, legendary uh, NBA coach Phil Jackson, you probably caught this. He, he basically said he, he, he doesn't watch the NBA anymore. And it's for, for, he, he made comments very similar to the ones you made about the NHL. Is this, because let, let's face it, sport is very, and it's a very important part of our, our lives in the West, right? As you say, it's a, it's a way to, to escape the hurly-burly of our lives. It, it's a place to just immerse ourselves and, and get away from, you know, job or school or, or something like that. And is the politicization of sport, is that part of it, part of this demoralization so that we don't have that sort of safety valve, let off some steam anymore, that everywhere we go, we're, we're, we're seeing this, this woke ideology. It's, it's even in the, in the hockey dressing rooms. I yep. mean, the, the rainbow flag is even on, on players, uh, on players' backs and on the tape of their sticks. Is that what's going on here? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's there. Uh you know, it's, it's, it's the psychological war that we're in, right? Why is the NHL going along with it? Why the NHL, the NBA, is it the influence of China? Who are their sponsors? Right. Right. That's all you gotta, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, why did get Tucker get fired from um, Fox news? Cause he went after big pharma. Right. And who's, who's the network's biggest sponsor? Big pharma, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know, so um, it, it's not hard to figure out. Like right. it's not, it's not hard. Like if you're awake, like once you see it, you can't unsee it. As right. much as as much as I would love to unsee it, I can't. Me right? too. Me too. Can't. You know, it's it's because it's in our face, twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, and like I said. You know, my, um, you know, my pedophile abuser trained me very well for this time. Right. Right. Yeah. And thank God I was able to get some healing and some understanding of why I fell into that trap. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I can't fall into it. I can never fall into, fall into it again. Right. Right. You know, and most people who are on healing journeys, who have a spiritual base, 
in which they live their life by, we can't be fooled. We're the ones that are awake. Right. Right. So why are they going after God and Jesus and Christ and churches and all that? Because they know yeah. that we're awake and we're the truth tellers. We're the truth tellers. And so they got to suppress us. They got to eliminate us off this, off this planet. Bill, if you wouldn't mind, uh, you said something earlier that really sort of struck me. You said that you'd met the devil. Yeah. And I don't know if you met that in, in a figurative sense or, or in a real sense. And I'll tell you why. I listened to a, a podcast recently, and the gentleman who was being interviewed was a, a Catholic bishop, but he's a specialist in exorcisms. And he actually said on the podcast that he had actually met Satan, the devil, mm-hmm. twice. And both times scared the heck out of him. Yeah. But the 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 uh, entity that he met was not anything like, you know, uh, you know, a pop star dressed up at the at the Grammys doing a dance. He said he he said that when he met when he met the devil, um, it was he was the most beautiful, uh, immaculate, handsome man they could ever that he had ever seen in his life. Yep. And something told him instantly that he was in the presence of, you know, of the prince of, of darkness. Right. Did, did you have, did you actually experience something like that yourself? Well, anybody who does any kind of hard drugs, <laughs> you're going to meet the devil. Eventually. Really? Oh yeah. What did yeah. the devil look like? What, how did, how did, how did you meet the devil? What, what was that like for you? It, it was more energy than actually, uh, Right. It was yeah. more than the energy. So not a, not a person, but just a sense no. that you're in the presence yeah. of of incredible well, I evil. The, I was in the grips of addiction right. and abuse and trauma, and you know I couldn't couldn't see a way yeah. out. Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You know, 19 years ago, I had a fully loaded pistol in my mouth, ready to pull the trigger and end wow. my life. Wow. Not be, not because I wanted to die, but because I was completely exhausted from living in emotional pain. For the majority of my life, right? So, so to me, that's the devil, right? You know, that energy is the devil, right? And, you know, those people live at such a low vibration, right? Their, their vibration is really low. What's that book called by David Hawking's Power Versus Force or something it's called? Yeah. You know, there's a map of consciousness there. And if you look at the map of consciousness, you know, um, you can see that, you know, we are living so much under our true potential as human beings because we have all of the, you know, because of big pharma, right? Right. All, All those drugs that are designed are not in their natural state. They're in a synthetic form. Right. So when we put these drugs in our... Well, our food is full of it, like the air is full of it. You know, that lowers your vibration, right? And when your vibration is low, you can be easily manipulated. You can be easily coerced because you need a savior. You need somebody to take away the pain. And the government and big pharma and everybody has inserted the media, has inserted themselves as an authority, right? right? that we trust, you know, 
And it's the complete opposite. So you're, right? t- you're talking about the creation of simultaneously uh, a situation of, of both physical, environmental, and even spiritual toxicity. Yes. All working all working at the same time on us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so what's, what's the antidote? What's the way out? I, you know, do, have you thought about that? I know, I know that you do your best. You're very active uh, on social media and, and through your podcast, mm-hmm. uh, having great guests mm-hmm. and, and bringing people in to, to try to wake people up and, and to give people hope. Is that, yeah. is that the, you know, is that the antidote or how, how do we stop this? Well, the antidote is, you know, we admitted we were powerless and that our lives had become unmanageable, right? That's, that's the first step in every 12-step program, right? right. And then the subsequent steps after that are finding a guard of your own understanding, right? And as a society, we've lost the spiritual base which everything grows from. Right. So, you know, like I never talked about spirituality much, but I find myself as I'm doing more of these interviews and more of uh, my own podcast, I'm finding that spirit, your spirituality is going to save, is going to save us right now. Right. (laughs) And, you know, uh, and, you know, I I get to hang around a lot of really powerful spiritual leaders and teachers and and all this stuff. And, um, you know, I'm on a journey right now where I believe that I can heal every single thing in 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 the things that I'm struggling with. I can heal those things myself. I don't need big pharma. I don't need any of that stuff. But I need relationship, right? I need relationship. And, you know, I didn't have a relationship with myself for a long, long time. Because after my abuser left my life, what happened? I took over the abuse and I abused myself because that's what I thought I deserved, right? But when I surrendered, and turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand him, I have the most incredible, amazing life you can possibly imagine. Because I'm I'm no longer in control. Right. And God is running my life. And I don't question anything anymore. Right? And I live my life one day at a time. And I try to be as present as possible in the moment. Right? And ultimately, that's where we need to get to as a society, because that will lift, will raise the vibration of where we're supposed to be, right? Mm -hmm. We're all living in 3D. We need to get to 5D as quickly as possible. And how do you do that? Meditate, you know, listen to frequencies, pray, you know, uh, give back, um, help people, right? That's that's how you raise your vibration. That's how you raise other people's vibrations. And if your vibration is, is already raised, if you're in a situation where it's a low vibration, you, just by you walking in the room lifts the vibration of the mm-hmm. room. Mm-hmm. And that's what I do when I speak is I lift the vibration of the room. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And that's, that's where we got to get to. Mm-hmm. So Theo, you're, uh, you're an agent for change. Um, you know, you've, you've been involved as a, as a, as a motivational speaker. And now, uh, as a, as a media person, as a podcaster, what's next for you? What, what, what is your next challenge? What are you, what, what are you, what, what do you have your eyes focused on in terms of your, your next steps in, in your life and in your, and your career? Well, like I said, I'd love to be retired, but uh, <laughs> that's not in the cards. Um, uh, are they ever going to put you in the hockey hall of fame? I mean, you check some of the boxes, never, right? You're, never, you're, you're indigenous. I mean, you're, you know, you're a victim of, mm-hmm. you know, like, but, but of course, uh, you, you think that your views are, are, you know, are, are keeping you out. I mean, on your stats, on your stats alone, you should have been in there, uh, you know, 15 years ago. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's the political landscape that we're in. Right. I didn't know that hockey hall of fame was a political entity. Right. Right. You know, I thought it was based on what you did on the ice, but apparently not. So, yeah. um, Does it rankle you that there's Russian guys and and people like that in there? No, 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 no. In my own mind, I'm already there. Right. Right. And that's, you have the respect of your peers, obviously. hundred percent. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, there, there's this Peter Marr actually said this to me one time and he would, he's, he's the guy that announced every. Oh yeah. Brilliant announcer. Oh yeah. yeah. Legendary. So he said to me, he goes, there's 15 guys in the, or there's, there's 15 guys that averages a point a game in the regular season and a point a game in the playoffs over a thousand games. He says 14 of them are in the hockey hall of fame. Who do you think the one guy isn't who accomplished that feat? I said, yeah. yours truly? He's like, yeah. Yeah. So. Because you've got then, at you least, know, there's got to be at least half dozen guys off that 89 team that are in the Hall of Fame, right? At least. Uh, I mean, McGinnis yeah. is in there. Lanny's Lanny, in there. McGinnis, Newendike. Gilmore. Gilmore. Mullen. Jo- Joey Mullen. There's probably more than, more than six. But yeah, I mean. I, you know, uh, I'm was, sure, uh, I'm sure amazing. Gary Suter's, Gary Suter's probably getting in there at some point, you know. It was amazing. Gary Roberts. Yeah. Is Gary Roberts yeah. in yet? He's got to yeah. go in eventually. Yeah. Yeah. You know. There's lots, you know, so. Incredible. You know, and I understand they, they only put four guys a year in the, in the Hockey Hall of Fame. So, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll be in there someday. Who knows? But, um, you know, I don't spend all day thinking about it, you know. No, um, no. You know, I have a bigger mission in life and, uh, you know, that's to, to help people who've been traumatized in their life, um, you know, deal with their mental health and addiction issues that come with, you know, having, having experienced trauma in their life. So I can see myself continue, continuing to do that. Um, and, you know, ultimately just discerning the truth, you know, Mm -hmm. Like I've experienced pretty much everything that life has to offer, right? Right. And uh, except I'm maybe still, good, except maybe good government. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm still here and I'm still alive, right? Right. So that tells me that you know God has a bigger plan for me, right? And He reveals that to me almost on a daily basis, right? You know, 
Um, you know, I, I believe there are no coincidences in this world. And, you know, today my path was supposed to go across your path and, and vice versa, right? There are no coincidences. Everything, yeah. you know, there, there's a plan, right? And, and the only time my plan went sideways is when I was in control and trying to control, control my, my life. Interesting. Now that I've given up that control and turned that over, you know, God always puts me in situations where I can help people, right? Because ultimately that, that was what Jesus did while he was on the planet, right? He's, he was not comparing myself to him at, in any way, shape or form. But we're all God's disciples and God and God gives us only as much as, as we can handle. And obviously he believes this time and space that we can all handle this. And uh, ultimately, you know, God wins. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The battle. And I have to have yeah. a tremendous amount of faith yeah. in that in that statement. Right. That, yeah. That's and, a great uh, mess. That's a great message that the battle is won. Right. Yeah. That it's yeah. one. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, if the communists want to take me out, no problem. <laughs> I'm going to a way better place than, than right here, right now. I guarantee you that. Well, you beat the communists on the ice. So, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. yeah. So, Theo, this has been uh, this has been a great conversation again with you. Uh, I'd like to finish off with uh, talking a little bit about your two books. Uh, the first one is Playing with Fire, which has a, a really nice forward by Wayne Gretzky. Uh, and, uh, this book is, uh, it is kind of written in the first person. It's, uh, it's, it's a really enjoyable book. It kind of reminds me of, um, it's very similar in some ways to the book. I just, uh, I just, uh, talked about recently the Brant Myers book. Have you, have you, have you read that one? Painkiller? I haven't, but I helped oh, him sort of, yeah. I helped him sort of get organized. Yeah. It's a brilliant book. It's, uh. But uh, but your book it takes you takes us behind the bench during your glorious days as an NHL player. You talk about growing up devastatingly poor and chaos at home. Dark personal issues began to surface: drinking, drugs, gambling, and girls, as you've talked about, ultimately derailed a career that had you destined for the Hall of Fame. Uh, praise God, you'll still get in there. And you share all this in raw, captivating, and uh, and an honest look at the previously untold story of one of the games. Uh, you know, greatest heroes. I don't know how many times you played for Canada. Um, Man, gosh, you won everything. Times. Yeah, and you won everything: the World Juniors, the Canada Cup, the Olympic gold medal. Uh, did you did you also win the World Championships? Did you ever play? I, play in? <clears throat> we uh, we got the silver. Yeah, so that yeah, was it. Missed, that was the only thing. I missed that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Darn close. And <laughs> then your your other book is uh, a really really fascinating book called Conversations with a rattlesnake. Uh, and this is, uh, it, the description here is, this is uh, from about nine or 10 years ago. This book was released. Theo Fleury is as passionate about understanding trauma, which you've talked about today, and healing as he was about being a pro hockey player in the NHL Olympics and World Juniors. And your first book woke up the world to the shock of your childhood trauma and emotional pain that surrounded your every move. Your new mission has evolved, and that is to understand himself to take his healing experiences and translate them in a way that everyone can understand. And then it's written with Kim Bartell, who's a world-renowned therapist and teacher, 
on the topics of developing self-awareness, compassion, and healthy relationships. So these two books, they sort of, uh, in, in a way, uh, mirror what's happened in your real life, right? The first yeah. book is kind of about your <clears throat> hockey life and how that began and, and shaped. And then your second book is about this, 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 this next chapter, series of chapters about your life that you're still living out, right? Yeah. Is that a fair yeah. description? Yeah. So the first book is the story and the second book's the healing, right? Right. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, well, you know, we just talked about it, you know, there are no coincidences. So, you know, uh, Kim and I were speaking at a conference in Winnipeg and I knew nothing about her, ne never even knew who, who she was. So I get to Winnipeg early because I'm the keynote speaker in the evening and I check into the hotel where the event is and I see the poster for the event and I see Kim Barthel and she's got like 30 letters behind her name. I'm like, <laughs> An alphabet, cow. alphabet soup. Yeah. I'm like, I'm in good company uh, here. So most times I don't, I'll just kind of sit in my room until it's my turn to go do my thing. But for some reason, strange reason, I said, I should go listen to this lady speak, right? So I snuck into the back of the room. I had a baseball cap on, a hoodie, and I just kind of snuck into the back of the room, and I started to listen to Kim talk and was, like, blown away at all this information she was providing to the audience. And then she put two videos on the board, one of a healthy mom and baby interaction and one of an unhealthy mom and baby interaction. And I was like triggered right then and there because I'd spent the majority of my therapy working on my sexual abuse. I forgot about my family of origin trauma. And as soon as she was done speaking, like I just barreled right down the aisle and I said to her, I said, Hey, you, I said, you just changed my life. And I said, I think you'll be working with me for the rest of yours. Is what I said to her, <laughs> right? And she had no idea who I was. And then I introduced myself. She's like, holy cow. And then after I was done my keynote, um, we had dinner. And I said to her, I said, you know, I had such an amazing experience writing the first book. I said, would you write a, would you, write a book with me and without hesitation she said I would love to and and basically that book conversations with a rattlesnake is now considered one of the greatest books ever written on the theory of attachment ah. and it's being used in 17 universities in the psychology field um, to help people understand how to have conversations with their clients and uh you know what's the significance of the title does it have a, an indigenous uh aspect to it or it why, why a rattlesnake a lot, it has a lot of different meanings you know everybody thinks that a rattlesnake is a combative animal right it's not it doesn't seek out confrontation and what, but what it does is it sheds its skin and transforms itself and reinvents itself over and, and grows. And over. That's how it yeah. grows. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
Wow. And, uh, you know, I'm also a singer and a songwriter, too. And I wrote a, a song called The Rattlesnake, too, where in the song, the rattlesnake portrays the devil and the addiction part of my life. So, right. so there's lots of different meanings and comparisons. You know? The rattlesnake can also be deadly, right? Venomous. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's another yeah, aspect when, to it. Yeah. When, when you mess around with the rattlesnake, you might get bit, right? <laughs> so, so somehow, you know, I'm kind of like that guy too, you know, don't wake, don't wake me up. Cause if you do, you know, you might get, <laughs> you might get stung. So, well, yeah, I, mean, I know, I know you stung a lot of people when you played hockey, for sure. Uh, but for sure. Uh, it's been nine years, might be time for the third book to complete the trilogy, right? You could talk I about, have, you could take this I whole have, trauma piece. And apply yeah. that to what's been going on, this huge, you know, psychological uh, yeah. situation, you know, you know, Matthias Desmond, you know, the, mm. the psychology of totalitarianism, right? Yeah. That, you, well, that you've talked about. I've, uh, I've written, well, the outline's done for the third book. I just haven't had any time to actually oh. sit down and write it. But great. Um, uh, this is a great story. So while well, Kim and I were writing the book, we set an intention that we wanted to start working in the prison system in Canada, okay? So that has come to fruition. Uh, I think we've been to like 25 different prisons in Canada working with inmates. And uh, one day we were sitting around the table and she said to me, she goes, how do you feel about forgiveness? Well, I went on a 30-minute rant of, I'm not going to forgive anybody. What the hell are you talking about? You know, and she's like, stop, stop right there. You're all about accountability, not amnesty. Yeah. She goes, I just want you to think about forgiveness. Mm. And I was like, okay, I can do that. So anyways, we end up going to Stony Mountain Penitentiary outside of Winnipeg. Okay. I've it's one of the biggest, yeah, it's one I've of the biggest prisons in Canada. They have minimum, medium, and maximum security prison. Right. So we're doing an event in the prison, and we have 400 of the baddest dudes on the planet in our audience, right? Bank robbers, child molesters, rapists, murderers, you name it, right? And we're having this incredible conversation about trauma, mental health, and addiction, right? Because these guys in prison are basically hurt little boys. That's all they are, right? right? And they have, you know, I maybe have 20 layers of trauma in my story. These guys got like 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 layers of trauma. So we're, we're having an amazing conversation. So I look out in the audience and there's a kid sitting in the back row. And he can't even sit in his chair. He's so engaged in the conversation. So I say to him, I go, you got something to say? He says, yep. Stands up, looks exactly like Eminem the rapper. Okay. <laughs> he's got the flat beat cap. He's got tattoos, you know, everywhere. And, you know, and he's, and he's street, you know, he's kind of right, street, right. street kid. So the first thing out of his mouth, he says, Theo Fleury says, you're my hero. Ooh. I was like, oh, okay. 
And he says, as you can see, he says, I'm not the biggest guy in the world. And he said, I used to be a really great hockey player when I was a kid. And he said, when I was 14 years old, he said, I grew up on the north side of Winnipeg, bad area. He said, I got involved with the wrong people. And he said, I started selling drugs. Hmm. And he said, I've been in and out of jail ever since. Okay. Then he says, you'll never guess who I was with three weeks ago in Grand Cash, Alberta. I said, I don't know. Who are you with? He said, I was with Graham James. Oh. The guy that abused me. He was oh. in jail with my abuser. And he said, Theo, because you're my hero, he said, my sole intent while I was in that prison was I was going to beat the shit out of this guy <laughs> for you. Okay? But he said, Graham is very heavily guarded because everybody mm. wants to beat the shit out of this guy. Okay? Or worse. Yeah. yeah. So he said, I waited and I waited and I waited. He said, I got my chance. The guards left his room and I walked in there and he wasn't there. So he said, I started searching around. So he said, I went to the left side of the bed. He wasn't there. So I walked over to the right side of the bed and there he was curled up in a ball in the fetal position in the corner of his room. And the kid goes, I didn't do anything. Hmm. You know what I said to the kid? I said, you're my hero for not hmm. doing anything. Oh. So that is remember, Kim, remember Kim said, think about forgiveness. Right. Well, there it was. There was my opportunity for me to finally detach from my abuser. Right. And in that moment, I actually had compassion and empathy for my abuser. Because somebody who's curled up in a ball in the fetal position in the corner of the room, that person's in pain and they're right. suffering. Yeah. And guess what? I'm not. I'm in a prison helping these guys deal with their trauma. So it was a beautiful moment yeah. in my in my life. Yeah. And it was another one of those exclamation points that just get the hell out of the way and let God work magic in your life. Wow. Right? You know? And and so yeah, it was just a beautiful Let's, well, you know moment. what? Let's leave it there. That we couldn't find a better way to end this conversation than that, Theo. Thank you so much for sharing with us again today, your mind and your heart and your soul. I'm really looking forward to the new book. Keep yeah. up all of the wonderful work you're doing. Um, and uh, I do follow your podcast. I enjoy it immensely. But yeah, thanks again for being our special guest here today. It's been a real pleasure once again. Yeah, it's been my pleasure too. And, you know, thank you for helping to bring some sort of justice to the world where there isn't any, you know, um, if we could just get one arrest, this thing would be all over. Yeah. And unfortunately that hasn't happened yet, but yeah, hopefully soon. God, God will provide. We have to keep, we have to keep up the prayers. Yes, absolutely. For sure. Thanks, Leo. Okay, man. Take care.